right, today we're going to talk about uh, for organizations who are thinking about get, thinking about getting a SOC 2 report, some of the basics to, to be able to get a SOC 2 report successfully and some of the terminology so people are familiar with what they're going to be going for uh, if they're doing this for the first time. So get us started off here. Uh, let's do some quick intros. So I'm Christian Hyde. I'm a managing director at Risk360. I help oversee our uh, compliance practice and our security practice. And also with us, we have Christian White, who's also a managing director and uh, leads our SOC 2 practice. Christian, you mind doing a quick intro? Yes. Like Christian mentioned, I'm Christian White. Um, I help lead up, uh, head up our compliance practice. So that includes SOC 2, PCI, High Trust. Um, so look forward to talking about SOC 2 today. Um, so just in way of kind of where we're going so people know what to expect, uh, we'll give a quick background on SOC 2. We'll talk about some of the elements of scoping, what the audit process looks like, timeline, efforts, and then uh, there at the end, Christian, I'll, I'll do a rapid fire and see if you can answer these questions without getting stuck. <laughs> All right. Cool. So uh, Christian, you mind giving us just a quick background of kind of the market drivers and, and what SOC 2 is? Sure. Um, so, so plenty of market drivers these days uh, for SOC 2, um, but, but some of the ones uh, to highlight are, um, you know, as, as we're in this uh, climate, uh, 2020 now, um, you know, security is, is, is a must, uh, privacy is a must. Um, and so in order to do good business, uh, companies are increasingly being asked to provide a level of assurance around their information security programs and, and possibly privacy programs as well. Um, so SOC 2 provides uh, an opportunity to, to provide that assurance, that third-party assurance that, that is being requested. So we see this a lot in the B2B space, um, industry agnostic, um, and then some of the other market drivers for why companies may choose to adopt SOC 2 are uh, the fact that they are subject to a lot of uh, third-party vendor due diligence. Um, so they may be filling out questionnaires on a daily yep. basis, um, doing a lot of security due diligence stuff, which takes a lot of time and effort. Um, and often SOC 2 is even written into contracts or um, MSAs, SOWs, um, because larger companies need to manage their supply chain and, and make sure that the third and even fourth parties are um, you know, practicing good information security. Yeah, I think most of the most of the clients that we get that are first year clients have have a similar story in that one, I've been answering questionnaires nonstop for the last year and I'm tired of doing that. Two, you know, it got written into a contract and, and some big client will not do business with me unless I have a SOC to report. Uh, so by the time they, you know, approach us, oftentimes, you know, they're they're on a timeline. They have to do it quickly. So uh, just as you pointed out, it's a pretty big market driver is in line with revenue. Um, so I, I think a lot of people don't understand like where SOC 2 came from, like who governs it, what is it, is it a framework? So can you maybe talk about like, you know, who runs SOC 2 and, and the background there? Yeah, absolutely. So the AICPA governs uh, the SOC 2 framework. Um, SOC 2 is a reporting framework uh, as opposed to a security framework. Um, and what that means is um, the AICPA puts out the SOC 2 framework, they define the criteria that must be met in order for a company to be compliant with SOC 2. But tactically, how a company meets that compliance, um, there's flexibility there. There's, there's options for how those controls are designed to meet the criteria. Um, and, and so because of that, that it's considered a reporting framework uh, versus a security framework. 
Um, and only CPA firms are authorized to issue SOC 2 reports. Um, so Everest 360, we're a CPA firm. A SOC 2 practice is, is a big part of what we do on the compliance side. Um, yep. So that's a little bit of background there. Yeah, I think it's interesting. Uh, I think when most people think of any kind of reporting or certification framework, they think that there's a prescriptive set of controls. So if you look at PCI or ISO, uh, you know, there's there's a specific set of controls that you have to do. Whereas, as you mentioned with SOC 2, they really give you criteria at a very high level that you have to meet, but every report's different. So how you meet those criteria, which cr controls you put in place are going to be pretty unique by organization. Uh, which can be frustrating, but can also be very helpful because almost any organization can go through SOC 2, which I think is a, an interesting and kind of neat, neat quality. Yeah, I think that's one of the big values is, is being able to customize a control set that fits the needs of the business um, wherever they're at, whatever stage of growth they're in, mm -hmm. versus having that prescriptive uh, set of controls that might not make sense for the size and, and industry. So, and that kind of brings us to our next question. So, a lot of people may wonder, you know, how do I even know what I'm going to get a SOC 2 over? How do I scope that? What are some of the elements that you as a, a SOC 2 professional kind of guiding the client through that process? Can you kind of walk us through what you consider when you're thinking about scope? Yeah, absolutely. So, SOC 2, um, the, the, the framework, we, we refer to it as the trust services criteria. Um, those are the criteria that make up SOC 2. And there's five different categories, uh, trust service categories, with security being the baseline. So every SOC 2 report is going to have at least security as a baseline. Um, but there are, addition, there are four additional uh, categories that, that companies may choose to add. Um, a lot of times that'll be based on industry norms or preferences or expectations or client demands. Um, and those include confidentiality, availability, processing integrity, and privacy. Those are um, optional, right? The, the security is mandatory. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. So you consider, you know, um, you know, a data center, for instance, uh, availability would be very important to um, their customers. So they would they might want to include that in their SOC report um, in the healthcare industry, especially privacy is very important. So you would yep. expect companies in that industry to to adopt privacy and, and fintech uh, processing integrity is important. So um, often for first-year companies, you recommend starting out with security, um, kind of get your foot in the door, get, get used to SOC 2, build your program, um, and then over time, consider whether it makes sense to mature that program by adding additional categories. Yep. Um, as far as systems and scope, so SOC 2 um, gives flexibility there as well because each company can define their information system and it's the information system that is being reported on. Um, so you might define your information system as your entire company. You might define it as a business unit within the company, um, or maybe it's product specific. Um, there are gonna be controls that are going to apply to the entity as a whole or be a, a shared services, um, but there is a lot of flexibility in how you define that scope. And I think that's important to note. Mm -hmm. Yep. And then on the timeline front, which we'll talk a little bit about later, but um, what's your experience with companies? Because I feel like most most organizations, or at least many organizations that that desire to get a SOC 2 report, they've been issued a mandate by a partner that says, hey, you have six months or 12 months or something to get a report in hand. Is that typically feasible from your experience? Yeah, for sure. I, 
what I would recommend is, you know, give as a planning factor, give three to six months um, to get your type one report. And we'll dive into kind of the nuances of type one and type two. But um, I think that's a fair planning factor. I've seen companies go faster when they're when they're motivated and they've got a client deadline. Um, and then also there's companies that are ahead of where they need to be and they know it's just something that's that's on the horizon and they take a, a, a longer approach to go ahead and implement the controls mm-hmm. that they need. But three to six months is fair. Mm-hmm. Yep. So that'll kind of walk us into maybe the readiness and or the, the overall audit process. So um, for most organizations that approach us, if they're a first year client, we, we typically take them through really a three step process for us. And, and usually that involves getting a client ready. So some gap assessment against SOC 2 where, um, you know, a lot of companies don't know where they stand. You know, they don't know what controls to meet the criteria. They don't know, uh, you know how far off they are from actually being able to meet the SOC 2 standard. So a good way to do that is working with the firm that's going to audit you to do a, a readiness assessment. And that's when we come in there, help identify the controls, help identify gaps, where gaps exist, help uh, provide some guidance on what would, uh, meet the requirement and how they might go about fixing that. For example, maybe they have to write policies or they have to update a few processes. And then that's when we kind of get into the nuance of uh, type one and type two, because after you finish readiness, most organizations are ready to get a report at that time. And what most organizations do for their first year is they do what's called a SOC 2 type one, which is a point in time report. It basically means the the day that you're ready, the day that you have all of your controls in place, you can you're qualified to get a report on that day. So if we're doing readiness and we're gathering evidence during that time, once we get that last piece of evidence, we can issue a type one. But that's typically not enough. The expectation in the marketplace is that you ultimately get what's called a SOC 2 type 2, which usually covers a period of time. Um, The most common reporting period is a 12 month audit period, but sometimes an organization will do a six month audit period their very first year so they can get a report a little bit quicker. So usually the day that you get your SOC 2 type 1, that will begin your audit period for your SOC 2 type 2. Uh, and then either you do a six or 12 month period uh, your first year and then usually subsequent years you do a 12 month rolling period. So that that's really the process. Do readiness, do your type one and then do your type two. And then I guess the one thing to note is that uh, the type two is the annual audit. It's not a one and done thing where you only have to do it one year. It is an annual audit. You have to refresh every single year, go through the full process and customers and clients are savvy to that. They're going to be looking for those report dates and asking for that refresh report every year. Um, So just be prepared to stand up those processes and maintain them over time. Uh, Anything CW you want to add there as far as uh, audit process? Um, Maybe one thing and that is just during the readiness phase, that's usually the phase that takes the most. because the way we approach is we'll sit down with our clients, we'll understand the business, the business drivers, how security fits into that, and then design controls to meet the SOC 2 criteria. Um, that's an important piece. That part is, is, doesn't take a long time, but often where we see um, you know, the, the biggest time commitment is in that remediation piece. So I, I say SOC 2 readiness, you know, that, that can take three to six months, um, and kind of the output of that would be that type one report. Yeah, absolutely. The other thing I think you do CW very well, that I think is a huge differentiator that you don't know that you need it until you need it is the level of customization that we go through when it comes to readiness, because 
if you've never worked with multiple CPA firms on this, there's kind of two approaches. There's the approach where everyone gets the same report, so you're kind of forced into a box, um, and there's reasons to do that. And then there's the approach where you get a pretty custom report that reflects accurately your environment and the specific controls that you have in place. And that flexibility makes all the difference because it allows people to have a report that is actually reflective of what they do and doesn't force people to change processes just to meet a compliance requirement and i know that as a rule our practice really tries to to take that approach to be very custom to make the report and reflect the client's environment and not overburden them with a lot of compliance check the boxes that might not be necessary so just want to point that out because i think you guys do a great job there yeah absolutely and i think the reason why that's so important is, you know, SOC 2 is not one and done. Like you want to put into place a program that is sustainable, that you can maintain and manage that closely aligns with what you're already doing or with with the direction the business wants to go. Yeah, absolutely. Um, and then that brings us kind of the timeline. So organization, like it's a great question. How long is this going to take? So I would say this is a very generic timeline. Um, on the left hand side here is when we typically do readiness and type one. So that's you know often around a six month time period. Like you said earlier, you can go faster than that if an organization is really motivated, but six months is kind of a default time. You usually do planning up front, and then in the middle uh, sections, you do uh, our, we'll do a readiness assessment. The client will go back and remediate. We'll do uh, the SOC 2 type 1 audit once you're finished remediating and you get your SOC 2 type 1 report. And then on towards the right hand side, you see that you begin doing the SOC 2 type 2 audit period. Here in this example, we said it was a 12-month audit period, but you can do as little as a three-month audit period or as, or often common as a six-month audit period. And which audit period you choose your first year is typically driven by how fast you need to report in hand. So if you have a client or customer saying, hey, like I need a report by end of year, then you might you know do a, an awkward audit period that first year, three or five month or six month to make sure you have a report in hand uh, to meet the client's requirements. But thereafter, like I said, you'll go into a 12 month audit period. Um, the nuance to uh, the type two, I would say, because the audit periods are so long, we typically do planning up front. Then we'll do kind of a midpoint check in where we'll, we'll examine a little bit of evidence and that, that way we're not at a mad dash there towards the end. And then we'll do a, a final audit period uh, towards the end. And I would say that at first check-in is usually a few days, just looking at policies, gathering a little bit of evidence, checking in to make sure the client's doing well. Uh, the end of the audit period is the bulk of the work where we'll gather the rest of the audit evidence, uh, finalize documentation, and then we'll issue that SOC 2 type 2 report. And then you'll get into that rolling cadence, 12-month uh, cadence thereafter. Anything you want to add as far as timeline, CW? No, I think you, I think you nailed it. Um, the one thing I will say is as you're implementing SOC 2 for the first time and, and getting that first type 2 report, um, typically what we'd recommend is a six-month report. You mentioned three months. Um, sometimes there's a reason to do that, especially if uh, a client deadline is on the horizon. Um, but the ICPA, I'd say they discourage that a little bit just because yeah. three months isn't a lot of time for those controls to operate. And so um, some readers of the report might take uh, might say there's limited value in a report shorter than six months, um, but it definitely can be done. Yeah, and, and for most companies, the first year uh, is really about transparency with your customers. Mm -hmm. So if someone's forcing you to get a SOC 2 and that's their expectation, uh, my advice is always be very transparent with them about where you're at in the process. 
often we'll even uh, provide a letter of engagement saying, hey, look, they're going through that process. Um, so the client has uh, knows that our clients are committed to this. And if they want a three month, then let's go through that process. But if they're OK with a six or 12 month, then let's do that. So just an open conversation and dialogue with all the impacted parties is usually the best way to figure that out. Yeah, that's huge. Um, I, I think really communicating that we like to call it roadmap to maturity often uh, solves a lot of the communication issues or expectations with clients. As long as they know that you've, you've got something underway and, and you're working toward that, uh, they're usually uh, accommodating. Yep. Uh, and then another great question I think that usually comes up is, you know, we have audit work that we're doing behind the scenes as the client provides evidence, but the client wants to know like, what kind of burden is this going to put on my team to go through SOC 2 because there's costs associated with taking engineers or, or leadership out of pocket to go through walkthroughs or provide evidence. So CW, can you kind of bounce through what, what, what is the tip, typical lift for a client when they're going through SOC 2? Sure. Um, so for, for new clients um, going through SOC 2, you know, we like to get kicked off with a set of walkthroughs and you know, call that five to six walkthroughs to really give us a lay of the land, understand the business. Um, so that'll that'll take um, you know some time from engineering, uh, product management, security, HR. And we usually try to keep those meetings around an hour, um, and that'll help us get through design. And then, really, the bulk of the effort is going to come in uh, with remediation, and and that that that's hard to know at the beginning how much remediation will be needed. Um, and the other piece is just providing that audit evidence. And so sometimes companies will centralize the collection of evidence to a single a project manager, or sometimes they'll distribute that among their team. Um, but I think kind of the how we've broken down the effort estimation is probably fair for year one uh, over on the right hand side there. Yep. Yeah, so I think at the end of the day, it's, it's doable for most organizations. Uh, a lot of times, uh, I've had companies ask if they're going to need to hire a dedicated person to manage SOC 2, uh, and I usually tell them no. You might want a part-time coordinator like during the, the heat of the audit, like the week or two that we're actually doing the audit, um, but typically can be distributed throughout the team, um, and, and we specifically use a, a GRC platform that we provide to clients that helps kind of manage that audit evidence where we can exchange that and everybody can collaborate there. Um, so that, I think, cuts down a lot on the on the effort. Uh, but in general, very doable for a team. They don't need to hire additional people. They can kind of just uh, share their responsibilities among, amongst the team and, and get through it pretty easily. Um, so that's kind of the, the nuts and bolts here. There, there are a lot of questions that often come up, CW, so I wanted to kind of add these and then have an opportunity to ask you about them. So for people who have the same question, maybe it'll answer them. So we'll just go through a few of these. Um, I think the most common question we get is, you know, all right, I'm completely cloud-based. How does that impact my SOC 2? Sure, um, and, and that's that's kind of the story of, I think the, the, the modern company is, is you know, moving to the cloud or, or even, um, you know, being in the cloud from the outset. Um, so how that impacts SOC 2 is we would consider those cloud service providers to be uh, what's called a subservice organization. Um, and that that subservice organization would be operating some controls on behalf of uh, you, the company. Um, and so we would describe those in the report, uh, what controls they may be operating on your behalf to meet the SOC 2 criteria. And then we would go ahead and uh, carve out those controls and rely on that third party uh, to provide uh, the operating the operation of those controls. 
Um, so, so basically, at the end of the day, what that does is it reduces the scope and the effort uh, for the company seeking certification or yep. seeking that report. Yep. Yeah. So for me, it, may, it makes it easier. If anything, if you're sure. using AWS, one of those tools, there's endless tack-ons and and, mm-hmm. and configurable things that'll help you get through SOC two likely in a more efficient manner. Um, so what if my whole so in line with moving to the cloud, we have clients mm-hmm. that do not have an office. They're completely distributed across the globe. Uh, everyone working from home. How does that impact a SOC two? Sure. Um, so we consider, you know, what's what's the nature of the risk around that? Um, from a physical security perspective, often that's something that we might rely entirely on the cloud service provider um, for those uh, controls to meet the criteria because there's no office space, so there's no need for um, everything from a visitor log to badge access. Um, so we would just consider on a, a company by company basis um, the nature of how the company is distributed, whether there's any uh, on-prem or, or office space or shared office space, and then kind of assess uh, the impact based on that. Yeah, and bottom line is if you're completely remote, you can get a SOC 2 report. That's very common, not an issue at all. There's clients that we do the entire audit remotely, just like we're doing this webinar, not an issue. Sure. Um, and that comes, do you have to come on site? When, when, when do you need to come on site to do the audit? Mm-hmm. Um, so if there is a physical location, we won't, we want to get on site at least to do physical walkthroughs. Often that's a great time, an opportunity for us to collaborate in person, which is very effective. Um, but if a company doesn't have a, a, a physical presence, everyone's distributed remotely, we're often able to leverage um, uh, video conferencing and other tools to, to, to get what we need from an audit perspective. Um, so I would say there's flexibility there depending on the nature of the business. Yeah, absolutely. Um, so I'm going to do this last one. I'll skip around a little bit. So, uh, you know, when you're doing some type of certification or a report, there's also additional things you have to do that come up. Penetration testing being one of them. Sometimes there's other things. So if I'm achieving a SOC 2, should I also go ahead and budget for or plan for having to do pen testing if I'm not already doing that? I would I would recommend it. Um, that That is one of the most common things we'll see as um, an external security assessment for the company and, and even what we see in the marketplace is often that's something that is asked. It's like, okay, well, you, great, you got governance, you've got controls around information security. What do you have from a technical testing standpoint? And often penetration testing is is the best way to address that. Um, you don't necessarily have to get one if you're doing some sort of other uh, security assessment throughout the year, but often penetration testing is um, the lowest hanging fruit, fruit or the, the, the one that's expected uh, from clients. Yep. Yeah, absolutely. Um, I'm going to skip around just a little bit because I think this one's important. Uh, what What if I outsource development? Because we have these clients that either uh, either outsource entirely their whole development or, or partially to get additional resources. How, how does that impact us talk to? Yeah, absolutely. So again, we would we would look at um, how that relationship is uh, structured. Sometimes the outsource development might be a subsidiary or a sister company. Um, or sometimes that might be a, a third party entirely with no uh, uh, shared governance. Um, so in that case, we would consider that company to be a third party and we would consider what controls are in place and, and um, how the company is handling uh, the vendor risk uh, for outsourced development. 
Yeah, so typically I think that manifests itself in the form of treating them like a vendor, so doing a lot of vendor due diligence around them, mm-hmm. or treating them uh, like almost like a an intern employee and and hope and forcing them to abide by your own security policies in line with what they would do if they were internal. Right. Um, so here's here's one that everyone's wondering: How much does a SOC two report cost? Mm. That that is a great question, um, and then the, the short answer is always it depends. Uh, and, and why does it depend? Well, um, there, there's a few factors. Uh, scope is a driver, so number of locations, number of systems or products in scope, um, and also who are you getting the, the SOC report from? Um, if you're going to go with a big four accounting firm, often what you're paying for at that point is brand um, versus uh, necessarily the nature of the work. So. Um, Really, the things I would recommend to companies to consider are, are why are you getting the SOC report? Um, do you just need a report? Are you trying to implement a program? Um, do you want something that's sustainable? Do you need a brand on the report? Um, so many reasons, right? But generally, what I'd say as a planning factor is uh, you know budget between 30 and 50K per year um, for SOC 2. Um, sometimes it's lower. Sometimes it's higher, but that's usually the ballpark that we see most SOC 2 reports uh, in. Yeah, yeah, and I think, uh, I mean, we, we've seen some that are, uh, if you're using uh, a prestige, a very large firm, I would say, uh, you, you might see a 4X cost versus if you're using a boutique firm. Uh, so there's a lot of variability there. I think when, when shopping around, I always say, you know, choose three, at least three firms, which is not uncommon, but maybe choose a variety of firms within there. So maybe you choose a larger firm, kind of a, a middle-sized firm and more, maybe a boutique firm in there just to see what story they tell, what kind of clients they're working with, what the cost variances are, because, uh, you know, there's a lot of good firms that are, are, are smaller firms that might suit those needs. Yeah. And what I recommend too is, you know, ask, you know, how, how, how tactically, um, you know, that company may help you, you know, implement SOC 2 or, or advise around SOC 2 because um, there is a, a pretty broad spectrum as far as how companies um, tactically advise um, yeah. over SOC 2. Well, since we're talking about it, I'll, I'll bounce on number 12. So how, how do I choose a good audit firm partner if you're putting your buyer, <laughs> buying hat on and helping advise yeah. a client? Uh, what's some of the things they should look for? Mm-hmm. Yeah, so the first thing I would ask is, um, you know, who's who's the team I'm going to get? What experience do they have uh, with SOC 2? Um, do they advise over best practices? Do they customize my design of controls to fit my company? Or do I just get a generic set of controls that I'm forced to implement because that's the preference of the CPA firm? Um, so really understanding how that that works and how that might fit with my company's priorities is very important. Yeah, I mean, some of the things I would ask for is I'd want to speak to the team I'm actually going to be working for, because a lot of times you're talking to a member of uh, the sales team or a member of leadership who who's done this a million times and they're fantastic, but then the people actually deployed on site are totally different. So I'd want to know upfront who I'm working with. I love what you said about the advisory side of it. Um, you know, how are they going to be able to help advise you through that rather than just being a report shop? Also, like what tools and technology do they have available to you? So like one of the things that we do is we have Phalanx GRC that we provide for free to clients. So they get a whole GRC platform. We have a policy portal. So if they need templates along the way, you're doing a ton of advisory around consulting them to to right size their program and customize controls. 
that's that maybe that doesn't seem unique if you've never been through this but most firms don't, don't do any of that stuff and some some do have some version of that so trying to identify those nuances of how they're going to serve you i think is a, a really important part of it so let me do one more question here and we'll wrap up cw um so what do i do if i have multiple requirements so i have you know maybe i'm doing pci SOC 2 hipaa and how can SOC 2 help solve some of those problems yeah absolutely um so this this is kind of a a larger conversation around unified compliance and, and i know you've done a, a webinar on that um as well but um you know as companies grow um often they're uh, uh, and, and industry changes, uh, there are generally other compliance requirements that come down the pipeline, whether it's new customers asking for stuff, uh, new industry norms and expectations. GDPR was a big one that you know came down yep. a few years ago that, that has forced companies to just change how they do business. Um, so what we try to do is take a holistic approach to compliance and say, you know, what are the things that you want to do as a business? What are your business priorities? How does security fit into that? And then how can we streamline compliance as a supporting function of the business to help you achieve those objectives? Um, so often that's, what does that look like? Well, aligning examination periods, audit periods, um, maybe leveraging SOC 2 uh, to meet requirements around HIPAA um, or even high trust in lieu of high trust, um, uh, things like that. And so really that comes down to strategy. And, and I know that's something that you like talking about. Um, you know, how do we unify things uh, to support the business objectives? Yeah, if people are interested in that, like you said, we did a webinar on that called the Unified Compliance Revolution. Highly recommend uh, reading through that if your company is kind of burdened with multiple compliance requirements. I think the bottom line is there's really a Venn diagram of security frameworks that there's probably, you know, between 20 and 80 percent overlap depending on the framework. And uh, they're using different words to say the same thing. And we're kind of inside baseball, so we know where those overlaps exist. So rather than auditing you four separate times, there's opportunities to audit someone one time and unify a framework and a program. So you get all of those reports, but one work stream. And that's, I think, our strategy for clients that have a lot of different uh, compliance requirements. So thanks, CW. I'll, I'll pause there because I think we're going to wrap this up. There, there's a few resources that I want to point everyone to. Um, one is our, our blog. Uh, there's a link there to it. You can go into the blog and search by the SOC category. I think we post something almost every week, this kind of a nuance about SOC or how it's impacting the industry or even detailed criteria. Um, so great resource for organizations looking for specific questions or just trying to educate themselves on SOC too. Um, other resources, we have dozens of white papers out there that you can uh, go read. We have SOC process overviews. If you're trying to put a business case together for your business, we have things around that. If you just want to understand the framework, uh, we have some SOC uh, framework overviews that dive into that. Um, also, if you want to reach out to Christian White, you can see his email there, christian.white at risk360.com. He's our SOC 2 practice leader, uh, subject matter expert. You can also reach out to myself there, christian.hyde at risk360.com. Um, and also check us out on YouTube. We have a lot of webinars. We try to post one every week where you can kind of listen as you drive um, and educate yourself. So thank you, CW, for your time. I appreciate you sharing your expertise. Absolutely. Thank you. All right. Th thanks, everybody, for listening. Bye-bye.